Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Today, I am excited to have Steve Basic on. Um, most of you probably know who he is, but if you don't know who he is, Steve, tell us who you are and what you've been up to. Well, thank you very much, Emily. This is a true privilege to come out and hang out with you for the afternoon and uh, chat about what we both love. Uh, so my name's Steve Bazek. I am an architect. Um, kind of my uh, background or how most people got to know me is I was uh, one of the first employees at Building Science Corporation and um, worked there for almost 10 years. So, you know, when you get to hang out with Joe Stebrick and Betsy Pettit for 10 years, you learn a few things. And, uh, and everybody else that comes walking in the door. So it's uh, kind, of, kind of like the who's who of building science every day at work there. So it's, uh, it's really good. And, you know, no, nobody there is uh, what I would term a slacker in any way. You know, when, when you're trying to keep up to the likes of, uh, you know, CODA, you got, that's a, that's a hell of a task in front of you. So, but uh but yeah, so I, I worked there for almost 10 years and, um, and then went out on my own. I figured, you know, at some point, I think every architect probably thinks that there's some kind of journey that they go on in their professional career. And uh, so I departed and, uh, you know, grabbed my stick and uh, little bag and said, let me go see what's out there and uh, tried to took take all the information that I gained working there, mostly taking buildings apart and understanding how they failed and uh, turning that information around into something that uh, we can use and the industry can use. And, you know, one of the, the, probably the biggest things that I learned from Joe personally that I, I probably find as his most commendable trait was his desire to pass information on as smart as he is. And he is definitely one of the smartest people I've ever met. He'll be the first to admit that all of the information that he has probably came from somewhere else that he just refined it and reworked it to uh, satisfy current times, materials, thoughts, etc. And uh, that the most important thing that he could do is probably transfer that information. So in that vein, I, I try and carry as much of that into what I do every day. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was just talking to um, another homeowner the other day, um, and she was talking to me about education and architects and what you learn and um, didn't realize that architects go through a series of, um, you know, internship before you can sit for your license and everything. And I said, yeah, you know, we do that and we work for firms and then we learn stuff. I said, but I didn't really start to learn architecture until I started doing building science consulting and like going into all of these houses and seeing how they came apart and did all of that. And so it's interesting to hear you say, you know, that 10 years that you spent working with Building Science Corporation with some, you know, some of the smartest people, but taking buildings apart, right? I think that makes us better architects. Yeah, I think one, you know, probably one of the biggest challenges I have personally is, you know, I, I was brought up with it, right? So from, from, I, I worked for a large firm for, I don't know, maybe a little over a year before I went to building science corporation. So it, it really wasn't, you know, that's that it's not worth really talking about. And you you learned a few things, office environment and all that. And I did some cool wall sections and okay. But when I got to building science is like you is when I really started to begin to understand things, but I mean, there, there's not many architects in the country that have that kind of education. And, you know, I mean, it's probably a hell of a lot less than, than what we would expect. Um, and so it's, you know, some people, I, I do a lot of speaking, Peter and I, Peter Yost and I will go around the country and talk. And then people come up at the end and say, hey, I have this wall section here. And how do I do this? And I'm sitting there and I want to say, what are you, a stupid idiot? I mean, you can't figure that out, but I have to remember that 
I was brought up in this world and they weren't. And, and it really becomes a challenge because I see things totally different than say another architect sees it when they look at it. And, you know, one of the, the hardest things that I think for an architect to understand is that all of our philosophies that we've come to understand in building science need to be integrated into our projects, not applied to our projects. And, you know, that's one of the most important um, pieces that I tell architects when I'm out there lecturing and talking and stuff is that you really need to think about these things as you're designing the building. Don't design the building and then say, oh, well, how do I make it efficient now? Well, that, you, you missed the boat already. It's sort of like doing a renovation project, right? So we talk about this. When you're doing a renovation and you're trying to get, you know, even a deep energy retrofit or just a retrofit, it's always twice as complicated the second time around. So if you design it first and then you try to make it efficient, it's going to be twice as complicated, especially if you've got somebody to buy into some idea that then is, you know, now a lot harder for you to figure out how to, you know, how to make it actually work. So... Right. Right. But it, it, it is a huge challenge and it's a huge challenge for builders too. And a lot of people, they don't, you know, people, I get a question a lot, you know, what do I think the biggest problem with the building industry is? And my answer is pretty much always the same in that I don't think we have a really good process to understand and question design and construction that and and that comes from people coming up to me and saying you know hey how do i fix this wall section or i have this detail what would you do here then nobody ever wants to think about it they all just want an answer and it's like you know they I, and i get i i mean I, I would wish i could somehow share but i probably get 10 emails or instagram messages or the like a day saying hey steve i'm remodeling my house out here in you know Michigan and the builder wants to use this. And I saw a video where you and Matt said you should do this. And what do I tell the builder? And it's like, I, I, I could make it almost a, a full-time job, just answering emails, questions, messages on my phone of people's personal building problems. And, and it stems from nobody, we don't really have a way to, um, process questions. I mean, I think I have a way, um, and I'll, and I'll give you an example that's, that just came to light yesterday that we can, we can debate and talk about. It'll, it'll make for good discussion. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's something that a lot of people would argue to their death for, and I couldn't think of a dumber thing to do. So it, it's where, where I'm, I'm on both. I'm on the total opposite side of the spectrum. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get, we'll get into it. it. It'll be fun. But I, but I, but with that, you know, I look at it and I try and see the other side and, but I sit there and say, no, if I believe my process, then I have to believe this position and, and I go with it. Um, but I don't think a lot of architects or builders have that kind of thought process. They just, they just don't, they either do it the way they're going to do it. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of architects whip up some, you know, design that they think is nice and fancy. And then they say, oh, I'll let the builder, he'll just build it however he builds it. Sometimes the architect gets value engineered out of our job sites, right? And we've talked about this before. You know, we just have to really put our foot down to be continued to be involved and to, to go even if we're not getting paid so that we can learn on the job sites. But, you know, when you show up and you're just like, well, um, that's totally different than I was expecting, you know, and now it's built. So like, we have had this conversation before you started building it. And for me, it's been a little bit wacky in 2020, 2021, because some of the choices that he may have made could have been availability, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the availability of two by fours was pretty poor for a while. So, yep. um, and he did some of the right things. And then some of the things that I would say, well, I don't know that I would have done that. So. Yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very tough business and, you know, and it's, you know, the part, part of it is, is it's this kind of three-legged stool because now the homeowner's sitting over there and the minute the builder kind of veers in a different direction from you, 
the homeowners now tasked with who do I believe? Right. And that becomes a huge challenge because once you lose homeowner, homeowners belief or honesty or trust, I guess is the word I'm looking for. It becomes a real challenge, right? I mean, I'm extremely fortunate in that people that come to me are coming to me because they play, they want to place their trust in me and say, Hey, you know, I want a new house. This is my forever home. We're retiring, blah, blah, blah. But we want you to take care of it and, and deal with it. And, and even with that, and as much as you try, sometimes you do lose trust and, and it's, and it's when, you know, the builder goes and does his own thing and you don't want to sit here and say, be a jerk and say, well, just tear that all apart and do it the way I said to do it. Right. You know, it's like, okay, well, maybe we can resurrect this, but can we not just veer like that on your own anymore? Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, the urge, but I, uh, sometimes have the urge to, when I'm laying out drawings to go like up on the second floor and take one of the, one or two of the dimensions and like add four inches and edit them just to see if they're actually using the drawings <laughs> so that they come back and say, Hey, you know, that fireplace or stairway was off four inches, you know, cause I, I just want to test and see if they're actually using the, the dimensions. You know, we talk about this integrated approach, right. That we, we integrate building science while we're designing, but then the team approach is, you know, it's okay if we have to make changes. And especially right now, we've had to make some changes because of availability, right? And if we do that as a team and everybody's on board, we move forward and everybody is happy, you know? And it's like, we all learn something or we all do something. And we know, hopefully with three sets of eyes from the stool on it, we'll catch if we're going to impede something else. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a structural engineer and people say, do we have to send that to him? And I say, yes. And I, and it's not because sometimes I don't trust, you know, me sizing a simple beam or something. It's, I know he's going to go through the drawings and it's just a double check. He's proofreading my work. Same with me. I don't always have him. I, I don't necessarily need him to draw everything, but I'm like, I want you to go through and I want you to mark this up and I want you to make sure that I didn't, you know, accidentally miss something or move something or something, you know, cause some CAD is a tool and it's a fantastic yep. tool, but if you get zoomed into something every once in a while, you can move something that you didn't mean to do, you know, accidentally. And so if they're going through it and they're looking at it and they're like, Oh, Hey, wait a second we had to move this over or put a beam here or do this or that. And now your toilet's sitting on top of this 14 inch deep beam. Well, that's a problem. Right. <laughs> so right. the extra set of, especially as, um, you know, as sole practitioners, right. When you work by yourself is I always say this about things that I write. I, I read what I was thinking and not always what I wrote. And so sometimes you, yeah, your definitely. drawings are what you thought you conveyed and every once in a while it's not clear to somebody else and so if you don't have mm -hmm. another set of eyes that gets to look at that then you know sometimes you and, miss and it. i have had that happen i've had it you know i have a couple builders one i've been working with him for 25 years he was probably the like the first project i've ever done ever did and we're we're still together really strong working together we've never gotten a fight so that's testament to both of us um but occasionally he'll point something out on the drawings and I'll be like, damn it, Jim. I'm like, I know I looked at that no less than three times. I don't know how that ended up like right? that. And it's like you said, it's, you're seeing what you want to see, not what you actually see. Right. And you just kind of glaze over it. But you know, one, one of the things I, I, that would be interesting is that, that I've come to realize, and that's, I think is pretty interesting the the better quality of builder say it's inversely proportional to the amount that they choose to listen right so what i'm getting at is i i just finished that that big house with uh, a builder here on the north shore and the project super is undoubtedly one of the best construction minds i've ever worked with but he never took anything for granted he never veered off course he asked every question, even if it was like 
Steve, I know this is going to sound dumb, but I have to ask it just to make sure we're on the same page kind of thing. But, but then you get the, the builder that is maybe a little younger. Um, it's on a tighter budget. And they're the ones that veer and go off on their own when they're the ones that really should be listening and paying attention. Like the other guy, you know, Brian, I would say like, Brian, whatever decision you make, go ahead, man. I trust you a hundred percent that you're going to make the right decision, but he won't. And then you get these young, younger bucks that just go and oh, double wall. We don't need to do that. We'll just do two by eights. It's easier. One wall, we'll bang that out. And they go and do their thing. The, you know, when you, when you have clients with say a tighter budget and you sit there and say, you know, I, I want to help them out. I want to do the project, but I just know in my heart, if we're starting out the project like this, it, this is going to be a hell ride because we're going to be forced to get a builder that's going to go and veer off on their own and do their own thing. And it's, it's going to be a challenge. And a lot of homeowners don't quite get that. Yeah. And it's, it's a little discouraging. It's, you know, as we, as we get older, I, you know, I think we're more fortunate. I can just look at a homeowner and say, listen, you know, you're at $300 a square foot or so. So all those 175, 200 square foot dollar numbers, you're thinking, just throw them out the door. If you want to continue this conversation, because we're, we're just not there. And that builder that is going to do it for that. It's not, you're, you're not getting what you want. Can you build a house for that? You know, I, and I'm sure you've gotten this. How much does it cost to build a house? I said, oh, I can probably build it for $150 a square foot or hundred dollars a square foot. The question is, do you want to live in that house? That's the real question. Building they don't it, know what they're getting. Right? Yeah, and that's the, the hard part, especially as you know, you, when you come to an architect or, or a quality builder, right, they have this expectation of what they'll get out of it. But then they're like, well, so-and-so said I could do it for, you know, 175 a square foot. And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's cold here. So you're going to be cold. It's going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to put a ton of money into it that you'll never get out of it. Like, is this really the right decision for you? You know, and I have an unpopular opinion that it's become really accessible to build only because we're still providing stuff that I would say is not, not quality. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I use that argument all the time. People are like, you know, it's, it, it, first of all, it's like, you know, you said you posted something and then you get all these comments. It's like the minute you commit to putting information out there, you have to understand that 30% of the comments are just going to be a total, Anything anyone wants to say to you, I think, um, I think it was Christine that told me, she said, when you produce content, it's like inviting people to tell, tell you their opinion and try to get you to come to their side or something yeah, it's, like that. It's like, I, people say, well, can you do this? Yeah, go ahead. Have fun. Yeah, you can do that. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. I, I, I don't really care to go do it. Um, if I wanted to do that, that's probably what I would have put in that detail, but I, I didn't. I did it this way because that's the way I think it should be done. Yeah, it's a it's a frustrating but loving uh, industry that we're in. I wouldn't trade it for much, but uh, it's a it's a challenge every day, and you just kind of have to wake up and say, you know, whatever. I'm 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 not going to get surprised today. Is basically how I approach every day. I approach um, every day going, I'm going to learn something today. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right? I don't learn something on every project, uh, then I did something wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is, you put a, you put a big bullseye on your back the minute, you know, you post something and say, Hey, what, what, you know, what do you think here? Or here's how we did this. And it's, and the other thing too, is that people don't understand the circumstances that went into those series of decisions. Right. And it's like, what, and I'll, I'll use one that is, you know, one that you guys, um, you know, I take to heart, but you know, something like using spray foam, it's, it's really difficult to go to say Texas. And I do a bunch of houses in Texas. It costs more to put bad insulation in a house than it does spray foam in Texas. So 
when you sit there and say, okay, you write down, we're going to blow cellulose in the whole house. And the builder, you know exactly what the builder is going to do. They're going to go to a homeowner and say, you know, we can probably do the cellulose that Steve wants to do. We're going to have to pull in a special machine. You know, our guy thinks he can get it. Like you can't, he, they can't drag it out and make it sound any more of a hardship. And we can do that. But, you know, as an alternative, we could do spray foam at like half the price if you really want to. And it's like, you know, it, it, it it's like, and then the homeowner comes and, and this is that trust part, right? Where does it, where does it come in? And it's, it becomes a tough one because if I sit there and say, no, you have to use cellulose, you're an idiot. If you use spray foam, well, it, it, it's, it's a, it's an extremely hard argument and a very hard discussion to have in in that environment it is a very hard argument to have especially with you know some some of the die hard uh spray foam in some ways is easier right as far as installation goes cellulose is not the easiest material or i can't wait to listen to your podcast on the wool insulation um you know, I'm sure like cellulose, it's not the easiest installation. It's not necessarily hard. It's just not the easiest installation, right? I mean, it's really easy for a spray foam guy to just come in, you know, and, and they're in, they're out, they air seal, they make up for any of the places that were challenging or hard to get to. They make all those bumps and jogs a little less bad, you know, but what's the longevity what's the health of the interior environment when it dries out is it this you know the same and we're lucky in you know in maine we've got wood and we've got cellulose and you know but even here it's you know everybody wants to put rock wool and everything nobody wants to nobody wants to put in cellulose that's that's yeah, too, much, it's work, a, too much effort and, and they really hate me because i i'm like you're gonna dense back cellulose i'm gonna show up and i'm gonna check your cellulose because there's lots of people who don't do it well <laughs> and so right and you know it's there, there's a whole bunch of other things at play in 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 my opinion to that you know, I don't know if you listen to Jake and Peter had the, the guy, I think his name was Specter. He's an urban planner. And he said, you know, if you really want to tackle carbon, you know, think about where you're putting the houses, not what you're building them out of. Or, or what kind of houses we're providing, right? Is single yeah. family home really the best way for us to provide housing? in suburbia and that you have to drive to you have to have a car and again it's like you know yeah i work in texas but when i go there i literally feel and if if you have any texans uh, that are listeners please don't take this personally but i i think i've died and gone to hell because they you know some of those those cities you can't even walk them like if you're, if I'm going to the restaurant, literally a quarter of a mile down the road and across the street, I have to get in a car and drive there. Cause I can't walk there in any way. And, you know, spray foam is just, it's, it's in everything that they do there. And, um, and, and I'm sure it's in a lot of places. I just use Texas cause I'm familiar with it. Um, but, uh, it's, it's one thing to sit up here in new England where, we have architects, builders, homeowners, and we have a a really good group of people that give a damn. And I'm not saying Texans don't give a damn. I'm just saying that the way we approach these decisions is slightly different than the way a lot of other parts of America look at these decisions. That's been the they one just, thing that's been most interesting about BS and beer is really learning things about other parts of the country. Cause I don't practice really outside of the new England ish area. I say ish cause I technically licensed in Pennsylvania, but that's not really getting too far out of East right. coast 
uh, New England area. But, you know, talking to the people in Texas, talking to Travis in the Midwest and things that they have access to, or even just I, I practiced for two years in D.C. before we moved to Maine. And, you know, hearing Doug say like, oh, we'd never use, you know, a cedar clapboard as a you know angle for a windowsill because do you know how much it would cost us to get a cedar clapboard and you know it's like oh man in new england i mean it would it's the cost of doing business right so. yeah and that's that that's actually where i was going with before when i lost track is that you know the the baseline by which we measure things i think is totally wrong when people come up to me and say hey steve you know how much how much you know the houses you design how much a square foot are they i said what does it matter right. I, I i'm designing to solve the problem and if i said 300 a foot or 500 a foot you're gonna say oh my god and i'm gonna say oh my god to you know the guy that builds the 150 square foot i call him the criminal not the guy charging 500 a square foot because we know better Right. We know we know better than that. But somehow we're, you know, we have this kind of engineered attitude where we take things to the least common denominator and then we say that's the norm. No, that isn't the norm. If that if that was the norm, we'd all be driving, you know, little white two-door Hyundai's. But we don't. <laughs> right. right? So we don't we, we value a little bit more room. We value a bed in the back instead of a trunk. Um, you know, we value four wheel drive instead of this. And so we, we have value systems that we judge, you know, the vehicles we buy. And I always find it really interesting that the most expensive thing we ever buy in our lives, how lackadaisical people are about it. It's like, I have friends that go buy a car. They print out the freaking spec sheet. They match it against dealerships. They do all this homework where they walk in the door and say, okay, I priced this, you know, this vehicle with this ID number at three other dealerships. They have this price. So I'm willing to do it for this price here. And then they, when they build a house, they say, oh yeah, Joe Builder. Yeah. Just whatever you think. This <laughs> is like, it is five times the cost. It's like. How, how did we get there? Or we are building disposable housing, right? Like that guy who's building it for 175 a square. How, how long is that going to be here? I can't tell you how many conversations we've had recently because people are building, which seems crazy to me, right? I mean, the cost of building is astronomical here in 2021, but they're building because they, there's either nothing available to buy or what is available to buy has either been so poorly maintained or was so poorly built to begin with that they're falling it down, falling apart. You know, it's, it's like, when do we get into the market of building disposable housing? <laughs> yeah. And I I've had this, you know, starter of a conversation with many clients. I say, you know, you live here and this house is about 175 years old. That means it's had about 150 years of bad decision-making <laughs> and sooner or later, somebody has to pay for all that bad decision-making and guess who that person is? Yes. You right now. It's very uh, prominent in my mind right now because last week I took a couple of days off or we'll say off. I didn't really leave my office, but I stayed at home. We did a renovation project at my own house. And it's yeah, like, I saw you tearing it all apart in the fireplace. Tearing it all apart. Place. Yeah, yep. it, it was a little project that got a little bit bigger because <laughs> it's a renovation project. So once you start cutting into things, you discover all kinds of really interesting things. So we had cut trusses and cut floor joists. And it's like, what happened here? The house was built in the 70s. It hasn't been up that long. There were a lot of interesting poor choices that, you know, the, the floor was sagging. So they built a wall below it, but they didn't take out the chimney pipe from the wood stove that was clearly in the basement. At one point, they just built a wall underneath it. So then we had to take it out from the top through our first floor. Like it it was crazy. And they didn't head or anything off. They just cut them like, Oh, we need a oh, hole yeah. here. Probably don't need that. That's just, you know, <laughs> like what? I've, I've been in houses that like, you know, got demoed like a month later and I'm walking around looking up going, I can't believe I walked on that floor 
last week and didn't come through it because <laughs> of the way the plumbing was all hacked apart or the framing was all hacked apart by the plumber. Or it, we had an uh, eight inch whip of electrical wire hanging out of this one light switch, just like hanging out in the attic. And I thought to myself, how many times have I turned that light on in the last two years and not burned down? Like, Ooh, that's a little, yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, but, but it, but it is a, a really crazy question, the whole, and, you know, obviously nobody has a better metric than the square foot because we don't use it, but man, you couldn't ask for a more poorly, uh, designed question to derive very important information from then how much do you charge a square foot or how much does that cost to build a square foot? Um, it's, uh. And you, the other thing, I don't know if you get this, but I get this a lot too. I get people that come and they want smaller houses. Oh, I'm not looking for anything fancy. I'm just looking for, you know, maybe about a thousand or 1100 feet. And I say, okay, that's a very expensive building. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't want to be fancy. I just, you know, really small. And I said, okay, I don't think you understand. If I build a thousand square foot home or a 3000 square foot home, the core elements are pretty much the same heating system, hot water system, electrical system, framing system, etc. And you got to pay every one of the contractors to show up on the site, which is half the battle. Well, and I always say to people, right, because they're like, oh, you know, I just want something small. I was like, but you still have to build a kitchen. You still have to build a bathroom. You know, those two things are expensive no matter what. Right. And yeah. you, if you're building a house, you still have those things, whether you have a thousand square feet or whether you have 3000 square feet, you still have those material dense, really expensive parts, right. To build you two or three more bedrooms, you know, depending on how it is, right. If you want all of it on one floor and it keeps extending and now I have more foundation and more roofing, well, that's, you know, but yeah, I mean, I want to build smaller so I can build less. I'm like, well, okay, you build smaller, it's more per square foot. If you build more, it's less per square foot. You just have more square feet. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I just tell them, I said, you know, the, the, the overall cost might be a little lower, but the unit cost is much higher. Yeah. Because you don't have any cheap space to leverage the expensive stuff against. And that's what the 3,000, the 3,000 square foot house doesn't have three kitchens in it. It has a slightly bigger kitchen and maybe a slightly bigger stove. But what it does have is two more bedrooms and another living room that are the cheapest space in the house that they can leverage the expensive space against. Um, and, you know, that people start to get it after that. But I want people to build smaller because I don't think that we all need 3,000 square feet, right? Like, in some cases, what what is the extra space for, right? So I think these smaller footprints and what we used to live in or, or we're comfortable with is great um, because I think the square footage, I always say the square footage is just a number that the tax department uses to figure out what your taxes are. It doesn't yeah. solve the problem. Like if somebody comes to you and they're like, I need 2,500 square feet, can you go... Yep. That's about 2,500 square feet. I'm like, do you, does that make any, like most, we started doing a lot of 3d, right? Because I feel like a lot of our clients don't understand the 2d drawings. So if you can't understand the 2d drawings, I don't think square footage actually means anything. Like let's talk about your furniture. What needs to fit in this space? How you're going to use it? Are you a, you know, one cook or two cook kitchen? Like there's so many different ways that square footage can be adjusted. Mm -hmm. based on what you actually need in your house. So I usually try to toss the square footage number out the door in the beginning and say, let's solve the problem you actually have. Yeah. You might need more. You, you than know, it's fun. It's funny. I tell, you know, I tell all my clients, I'm brutally honest, but I, I'm, I'm actually lying to them because I'm not as brutally <laughs> honest as I want to be. Cause it, I'm the, the thing is, is I, you know, maybe, maybe a, even a little later in life, I will write a book of, just the untold stories of designing houses for America, because almost every project there's at some point I walk away and go, did we really just have a conversation about that? Like, Oh, can we switch that front door to a series, a set of double doors? 
It's like, okay, well, why do you want to do that? We have to move this wall, make the entry bigger and stuff. Well, it just seems like every Christmas when we bring the Christmas tree in, like there's pine needles everywhere. And we think it'd be really easy if we had two doors and a bigger entryway to bring the Christmas tree in. And I'm, and I'm sitting there going, like looking around for the candid camera going, do I pursue this conversation with what I want to say, like, are you, are you really that stupid that we're going to design the entryway around bringing a Christmas tree in and out the door once or twice a year? Or do I just say, yeah, no problem. If that's what you want. I mean, how do I, I, I find myself in a predicament quite often. And what it alluded to is now I have what I tell clients, here's the 90% rule. And I, and this is like meeting one. I tell them, I said, design this house and make your decisions based on what you do 90% of the time. Cause if you do it based on what you do 2% of the time, this house is going to be huge. It's going to be massively expensive. And you're not, I, I mean, I, I literally had one client I had a discussion about his pencil tray in his custom built in desk in his master bedroom. Like how long should it be? Should I have a place for new pencils and used pencils that are shorter? Like we sit here and laugh, but this was like a valid conversation that I had with a client at their kitchen Island talking about their new house. And I walk out of there going, really? Like, there's a lot of problems in the world. And this guy's biggest problem is where do I put the like half used pencils in my pencil drawer? Like we, we have some serious problems um, <laughs> when, when given the opportunity to think about them, you know, you and totally write that book. Yeah. Like, can we, do you think we could like maybe excavate the back of that basement and put a garage door in? Cause it, it'd probably be nice if I could get the lawnmower out of the garage. It's like, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And then, but sometimes I get clients that come across with some harebrained schemes and I go, okay, now that is a freaking challenge. And that is really interesting. Like, can we even do that? Okay, I'm in. Let's figure this one out. It's and, almost uh, worth all the really odd ones for those gems where you're like, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that, but how do we make that work? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's a really cool idea, but yeah, clients are, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. Oh, I can't put the bed on that wall. Why? Oh, well, I was told you never put a, a bed on the West wall or South facing or something. I'm like, where are you reading this stuff? My thing though, is looking at it and they're like, can we add another window here? And I say, no, where are you going to put the bed? Could we put a windows over the bed? Sure. Can we put it yeah. like big windows here? No, because now we have a closet. We have a door in here. I have to have an egress window. So, you know, to meet code, I'm like, you're running out of places to put your actual furniture. Mm -hmm. Or, or an, another big one is, uh, yeah, in the living room, we want to have a big fireplace um, and I want an 80 inch TV. Oh, and I want that view too. It's like, okay. Why don't you tell me how to figure that one out? Because in 30 <laughs> years, I still haven't figured that equation out. Like, how, how do we put all three? In, in the lighting show, I think it was two weeks ago, I said, you know, okay, which one of you has a great, great scheme on how to light these giant great rooms? And the the guy who, who I would say has a ton of experience in lighting spaces was like, uh, when you figure that out, you let me know. I'm like, yeah. So we basically have all said, yeah, it's just impossible. In industrial lighting from 25 feet above, it's uh, the cable I, I, lighting, you know, just goes across. And mm -hmm. but then that's not really that's really not strong lighting because I have used that in that you know the it was a volume ceiling, probably 16 foot tall. We strung a couple cables across and put these little hockey pucks light in. But it really wasn't enough light. It got hmm. absorbed by that room like crazy. Yeah. Same with the it, sound. Everyone's like, oh, I want this great, mm -hmm. big, great room. I'm like, well, what are you going to do in it? Because you're not going to be able to sit down here and have a nice conversation with your family on the couch because the sound is just going to get absorbed by this room. Like, oh, yeah. wow. 
but it looks great. Well, all these all these challenges, but yeah, I I should start when I'm when I'm flying around, bring a little notebook and just jot down all these little anecdotal stories because I I know I literally have hundreds of them because I just walk away going shaking my head going did I really have that conversation and is and like sometimes like I partake in it willingly and I go really did I just fall for that and kind of get absorbed into that wackiness um but we do and it's like when people have the opportunity to think and scrutinize it and the other thing that's hard for clients is you know i'm constantly telling them like we scrutinize that because we can right now but there's so many other things that we haven't talked about yet that are going to be a part of that like it could be something as simple as a window location and you're laying out the floor plan and it's like, okay, it, I think it looks good there. Now, well, should we move it here? Should we make it bigger? Should we do this? It's like, you know, go outside, plant a tree, put the walkway in, put some flowers in front of the house. You put the mailbox on the wall, a couple wall sconces, and the whole environment changes immediately. And all of a sudden that, you know, one window, I don't know I had, I had one woman, her son picked out this color red and when i say you walked in and said holy crap is that plugged in somewhere because it was <laughs> it was bright red and uh and she said what do you think and i said i think you should make your son happy and leave it if it makes him happy and i and i did say you know you we're looking at it and scrutinizing it as four walls of this very bright red and it was i think it was three of the four one was white and i said but the minute he comes in and starts putting up his Tom Brady poster and, you know, all of this stuff and hanging it on the wall, we're only going to see 30% of that red and it's going to go away and you're going to have dark bedroom furniture in here. You're going to have a fan in the ceiling and you're going to have all these things that, that red, we scrutinize it because we kind of have to right now. And, um, but yeah, I just had a client, you know, we, my daughter did some renderings. We sent him off and then he like comes back and he's all mad. He's like, I told you we wanted dark gray on the bottom and we wanted this color there. And I was like, first of all, it, we're going to end this conversation. If you come at me with that tone ever again. And second, we put in exactly the colors. Here's a thought. Do you think the way you see things on your computer screen might be slightly different than the way we see them on our computer screen? Do you think that when we put something in the rendering program, that when we say the sun is facing that wall, that the rendering program is going to maybe think a little on its own and change that color scheme to do what it thinks it needs to do to illustrate a sunny scene? You know, all of these things we did, we did exactly what you asked for. Um, but that's a, that's an aggravating pet peeve of mine when people come at me with like they don't start out with the question to try and understand what drove something they just come back thinking they know the answer and that we ignored them or didn't listen or whatever and that's in life in general beyond architecture but um but every once in a while you get those clients and which which leads me to one of the questions i get all the time too is like what's your what's your favorite project i say the one with a good client because the, so the project true. doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care if we're hanging stuff off a cliff and, you know, at a ski resort or on a beach somewhere. I really don't care about that. What I care about is the client that's nice, appreciative, and that will listen. A good team, a great client, a great builder, and everybody, you know, being really happy that, I mean, those are the best projects, you know, I have a client who's out in California um, we're building a house for them here in Maine. They've been to the job site twice since we started building and they are just a joy to work with. They're just absolutely wonderful to work with. You know, they trust us. They love all the project updates. It's, they're just a really a pleasure to work with. Usually it's the ones that apologize to you that aren't difficult. They're like, I'm sorry, you must think I'm, I'm a crazy client or, or I'm taking so long. I'm like, if you're apologizing for this, then you're yeah. not that person. <laughs> if you want, if you want crazy, pull up a chair. I'll, I'll talk to you about crazy because I, I I'll never forget this. This is a funny story. 
I, uh, this is probably like 12 years ago. I went to look at this project up in like the Newburyport area and I sit down husband and wife and we start talking and, and, and he's like, okay, why don't you go? And, and she starts talking about what she wants. And he's like, you never said that before. And literally in like less than five minutes, they're dropping F bombs. They're screaming at each other. And I'm just sitting there again, like looking for the candid camera saying, like, is, is someone like punking me here? I mean, what's going on? Cause this doesn't really feel real. And they kind of came at a, a little minute of stopping point. And I said, I said, guys, I said, there's obviously some issues you guys might choose to iron out before we continue this discussion. I grabbed my stuff and left and never returned, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I had that. I, I had the weeper, which was, uh, you know, the, this woman, we went and, uh, went to a project. She gave us a laundry list of stuff and I'm sitting there going, okay, 300,000, 350, 375, 425, 475 sold. And she goes, well, what do you think? And I said, okay. I mean, do you, do you, and I used to say, you know, do you have a budget in mind? But I changed that. You probably heard. I say, now I ask clients, do you have a number that scares you? Because <laughs> they, they lie about budgets. If I say, give me, do you have a budget? Then they're sitting there saying, well, I can spend 400, but let's tell Steve 350. Yeah. I always start with, I was like, do you have a number at which this project will not go forward? What's that number? Tell me yeah. that number. <laughs> Yeah. What's, what's that number that scares you? If you don't have a number, right, you need us to help you put together a budget. Totally fine. I get it. I don't expect you to know what things cost, but what's the number you're not willing to spend? <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's when they roll out with some number that you're like, oh yeah, nope. So I started just prefacing things from the very beginning. When you first reach out to me, you're going to get some numbers back. This is what we're seeing for construction. If you're not even in this ballpark, I can't help you because you can get invested before you find out what that number is. So I try not to All get right. emotionally invested in people because you want to help them, but some sometimes mm -hmm. we can't. And that's that's so hard, right. To dial back out of that after you, you know, you've, you've gotten on board, they've got great ideas. You, you can tell there'll be great people to work with. And then you get to the number part and it's like, Oh, I can only spend 250,000. I don't know if you can build anything for 250,000, you know? And so, yeah, well, this woman was even more off the rails than that. I'm sitting here thinking like 450, 475 after her laundry list, and I asked her, you know, they said, do you have any idea on what you're thinking, you know, the, the range? And she goes, well, I, uh, I have about 60 or 70,000, but probably could go up to 75. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I break this to her? Yeah. I said, I just looked at her and said, you know, I forget what her name was, but I was like, we're not even in the same zip code here where you're, you're on another planet. And, but the, the reason I called her the weeper is she burst out into tears. She like went into this whole crying scene and, oh my God, I'm never going to get this kitchen remodeled. I'm never going to do that. And I'm like thinking, oh my God, what have I gotten myself what into I here? <laughs> what I, I just came here to talk about architecture and I got this woman like sobbing and crying about all her dreams are wrecked and she's never going to get it remodeled. And I was like, Oh my God. You're like, how do I slowly back out the door? <laughs> yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, now it's like, I have a conversation with people and I said, listen, don't take this personal, but I'm going to, we're going to start this conversation. I'm going to ask you a couple questions and those two or three questions are going to be the reason we either end this phone call in 30 seconds or we continue it. Yeah. And you know, what, what, what kind of size of house are you thinking? What is a number that scares you? And when do you think you're going to start this project and, or move into this project? Yep. Cause though, though the answer to those three, four questions are imperative to whether we continue this conversation and you do get the crazies. I get some people now, I probably talked to somebody a day or two ago. It's like, Oh, well, we're planning on starting construction like 
you know, beginning of June as soon as possible. And I'm like, oh, and we're going to design a 5,000 square foot house between now and then. Like, are you talking June 22? They're like, oh, no, no. Those are all my prompts. They, you know, they start with, uh, are you willing to wait? Because I can't add you into my schedule until X, right? And right now we have a waiting list. And that's that's lovely and a great place to be in. But, you know, my first priority is the people who have already signed contracts with me. And you want me to be that person for your project too. So I can't start until X date. Are you willing to wait? You know, then... <laughs> Then if the answer is no to that question, then, you know, we're done. Right. Yeah, and then conversation is over followed by the number that scares you. I'm followed by, do you have a contractor? And when do you plan to start? Right. Because if you already have a contractor and you have someone in your schedule, granted, we can't design a 5,000 square foot house between now and June. Right. I need six. Right. Oh, so that's in the first one. Right. I like to give myself six months. <laughs> yeah. I tell people probably four to four, I tell them, tell them four is extremely aggressive. And four is if it's a builder that I've worked with before right. that knows what the hell they're doing. And, you know, we can probably do something like get the foundation permit and then we can still work on some stuff yeah. in the month that they're putting the foundation in. Yeah. Um, but if it's a new builder and new, you know, homeowner, and it's like, no, we're, we're, we're a ways away. but i also get the other one it's the flip side you know i'll get inquiries it's like steve i'm thinking about building a house in about four years when do you think we should start our conversation i was like give me a call in about three you know and say save your money yeah save your pennies and then start saving now increase that by 10 percent every year and then when you call me back maybe we can you know, get started. I know that's the, that's the hard part too. Cause there are a lot of people right now who are like, well, if it's going to be cheaper to build in a year or two, maybe I'll wait. And I'm like, I can't guarantee you that what we're seeing right now is going to come back down. Yeah. I mean, human nature doesn't have that, uh, that type of movement. If, if I'm charging you $20 an hour to do a task and all of a sudden things seem to be, you know, regressing a little, I'm still going to probably try to get that $20 an hour because I've readapted my lifestyle to accommodate that. And I'm probably never going down to $15 an hour again. I might go from 20 down to 18 and, and that, but I'm never returning to the 15. There's, there's just too much opportunity to stay where I'm at. Right. With that. Right. And I think all the manufacturers and stuff the same way. It's like, okay, price of plywood is one and a half times. We're never going back to that one times. We might go back to 1.2 or 1.3, but we're never going back to 1.0. Right. You know, those, those days are gone. Tune in next week to hear the rest of the conversation with Steve Basic. It was an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast this week, and we hope you'll tune in next week. Until then. We'll see you on the flip side.